All right, so Daryl's already warned me that uh, I can't preach my normal sort of 55, 65-minute preach, right? So <laughs> it's also quite warm in here. But we as a church have been going through the book of Exodus, and I don't know about you. In fact, I do know about you. So many of you have just given me the feedback that somehow God's breath has been upon this series and that many of you have been experiencing God's voice speaking to you. I know for myself this has been a memorable series and uh, that brings us to today where today is our final sermon in the series. And please, please, please don't see today like this afterthought. Oh, it's just the final series. It's just the sermon that's wrapping it up. Don't see it like, you know, you go to the buffet and, and you fill up on all the things that you really enjoy and your favorite meals. And then you maybe got a little bit of space left over. And so you have this forgettable kind of meal at the end of the meal. Please don't see today like that. Because in fact, I want to show you that the whole of the story is about what happens today. And that today is the focus and the climax of the book of Exodus. In fact, not only is today the focus and the climax of the book of Exodus, I would say it is the point of the whole of Scriptures. You see, when we look at the beginning of Scriptures and we look at uh, page 1 and Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what we see is this beautiful picture of God and man living together. God's presence being amongst His people. God's people serving and reigning and ruling somehow under God and with God. That's page one. And then if you go to the final page of scripture, we see exactly the same vision. In other words, book ending the whole story of scripture is this picture of God with us, God among us, we being able to be set free to fully serve God and fully uh, fulfill our purposes with him amongst us and so if that's where scripture starts and if that's where scripture ends i want to maintain that the rest of the story in between is all about god's presence coming back to us you see what we have in the beginning of the story is in genesis chapter 3 we had this moment where sin entered the world where everything went paired and ever, ever since then, God has been restoring His presence amongst us. That is what the story of salvation is about. That is what the book of Exodus is about. And so what we've got in the book of Exodus is this idea of the tabernacle that gets developed. And there are many, many chapters given to the tabernacle. But please don't think that the point of the tabernacle is the physical construct of the tabernacle. The whole point of the tabernacle is to pre prepare God's people for God's presence. And so this chapter and this story is really within the framework of the whole story of Scripture and is so relevant to you and me today as well, as you will see. What we have towards the end of the book of Exodus is Moses pretty much finishing up the construction of the tabernacle and everything's in its right place. And it says here at the end of verse 33, and so Moses finished the work. And so we've got this idea that the tabernacle is ready. The people are ready. And this is what happens next. Verse 34. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Now, Dalziel and Jules, I don't know if you knew where I was going this week, but so many of our songs this morning were about exactly that. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. In other words, God's presence stayed with his people. And so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel during all of their travels. And so the story ends with God's presence moving in a massive step of God restoring his presence to his people and that's a fundamental part of the story and the story continues to grow but as we think about this idea of the tabernacle and the glory that's coming in there I don't know if you know this but in order to do what we do here on a day like today whether it's here or it's at the hall it takes a massive amount of preparation and effort. So we've got the worship team and the, the worship leaders are praying through the songs that God lays on their hearts. They send it out to the team and everyone's praying, everyone's practicing, everyone's preparing. But the biggest part about being in the worship team is not can you play or can you sing, but can you carry speakers? Because just the way we do church at the moment, that's part of the job description, a massive part of the job description. And then we've got the same thing with kids ministry. We've got the kids leaders and they're praying and they're preparing and they're getting resources together. And then on a Sunday, they arrive here early just after Gav and Liz and Bev as they get everything ready for us. And there are literally trolley loads of resources and equipment that go out to the kids ministry space in order to make that happen. And then we've got the, the streaming team and the media team and the setup team to ensure that you've got a great cup of tea and coffee with a great brownie. And the list goes on and on and on. Collectively, there are dozens and dozens of hours that go into making this day happen. And the reason why I bring this up is to say this. For those of us who serve and for those of us who are doing this thing week after week, it is very tempting for us to evaluate the success of a Sunday by how well all that stuff goes. Oh, you know, we had sound problems. Oh, we had streaming issues. Oh, we had, you know, issues with the electricity. Oh, we didn't have enough leaders today. And we're very tempted to believe that therefore there was a bit of a failure on the day. And not only for those who serve, but for those who don't serve. It's very tempting for you to rock up and rate the success of a Sunday by these externalities, by the flavor of the coffee, you know, and how well the media went and how well the preaching went and how well the worship went and how well the kids ministry went. And while all of those are important, and we'll get to that later on in the message, the point is not about that. In the same way, the point was not the tabernacle. The point was that God's people were prepared for God's presence. And so the true highlight of the story is when God's presence moves in. 
So maybe some of you ask the following question. You know what, Stephen, when I grew up in church, I was taught this fancy theological question, uh, uh, word. We were taught about God's omnipresence. And if that's a new word to you, it's a word that talks about the fact that God is everywhere. God's omnipresence means that God is literally everywhere. So maybe some of you say, Stephen, when you talk about God's presence, I don't know if I'm tracking with you because I was taught that God is everywhere. So how do we think about God's presence in this story? How do we think about God's presence in the tabernacle? Well, I really think that this is an important question for us to check out this morning. You see, if we think about Moses in this story, Think about the different ways and the different degrees to which Moses experienced the presence of God. We've got Moses encountering the presence of God on the mountain as God revealed his name to him. We've got Moses experiencing the power and the presence of God through all of these wonders and these signs and these strikes against Egypt. We've got Moses experiencing the power and the presence of God in the cloud of fire. And the pillar of cloud, we've got Moses experiencing the presence of God in a greater way, in a different way at the top of the mountain. And even then, Moses says, I want more. And so in Exodus 33, we've got Moses experiencing more of God's glory and more of God's presence. And then we get to this chapter where somehow God's presence was so concentrated, not even Moses could go in the tents. And so we don't have this idea of on-off, God's either here or He's not here. We're starting to see that the Scriptures give us this idea of varying degrees of experiencing the presence of God. David says the same thing. David knew that he could go into the tabernacle and in a very special way enjoy the presence of God. And that is why he says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in this place in your presence than a thousand out there, is what he says. But the same David, in a different psalm, he says, Where can I go from your presence? If I went to the highest heights or the lowest lows, I will not be able to get away from your presence. We also see this, for example, in the Apostle John. John spent three years with the person of Jesus Christ. And then in the beginning of the book of Revelation, John somehow is in the presence of the glorified, resurrected Christ. And he falls down as if dead. We've even got the story of the church. Acts chapter 2, God's powerful presence. His Holy Spirit comes in and makes his home amongst us as the church. Never again to depart from the church. And so that our story is part of that story. But then we get Acts chapter 4, where that same church who has now received the power of the Holy Spirit is praying and they're worshiping. And somehow God's presence comes down in such a way that building is shaken. And so scripture is trying to help us understand that we can experience the power and the presence of God in varying degrees. So in one, say, in one way, yes, Scripture is saying God is everywhere. In another way, God is present among certain people in a greater degree. And in another way, we can even experience the power and the presence and the glory of God to an even greater degree. I love the way A.W. Tozer talks about it. He says, the presence 
and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. When we talk about the word manifestation, we're talking about a, a higher level of embodiment of the presence of God, a higher level of awareness of the presence of God. So these are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here even when we are wholly unaware of it. But He is manifest only when and as we are aware of His presence. Are you understanding the difference? So I want to ask you a question. As you go through a day like today, as you go through your religious life, and in fact, even more than that, as you go through the rest of your life, are you just going through the motions? Are you just rocking up at church? Are you maybe even, you know, whether you're enduring church or enjoying church or some of the religious things we do, like reading our Bible, going to life group, some of the ways that we serve our neighbors, or even when you go to work, are you engaging the thing? Or are you seeking the presence of God beyond the thing? And I want to invite you, this is what today is all about, that we seek the presence of God. Is this something that you are seeking to be aware of? This is, I believe, what the all of Scripture is all about. You see, it's one thing to know at a scriptural level that God is with us. Daryl prayed that this morning. Dull's prayed that this morning. The songs we sang were all about that this morning. And let me just set your heart at rest here. At a scriptural level, for those of us who are believers, the scriptures say very clearly, Ephesians 1 verses 13, when we believe, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's the powerful presence of God. 1 Corinthians 12 says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. We are called as the church. We are called the temple. This is a throwback to the tabernacle. We are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so our grassroots level, the truth of what is real is that God is with us. God is among us whether we feel it or not. However, I do believe that while we can know that at a head level and at a scriptural level, we don't always know that at a heart level and at an experiential level. And I believe that what God wants to do in different ways and in different seasons and with different levels of intensity is fill the gap between what we know to be true and what we know to be true about His presence. So when we talk about the presence of God, I hope most of you are sitting here saying, yes, I want that. But I'm pretty sure, and I've been there, where some of you are saying, Stephen, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want that. Maybe for different reasons. I know sometimes when we talk about the, the words like the manifestation of the presence of God, some of you have been to churches where they talk about the manifestation of the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, people started barking like dogs and jumping up on Holy Spirit pogo sticks and, you know, speaking in language that sounded like nonsense to you. And you're like, Stephen, if that's what you mean, I know some of you dig that stuff, but some of you are like, I don't want that. Some of you maybe are saying, look, I really want to have more of the presence of God in my life. But there's some sin in my life that I'm kind of not dealing with and I'm kind of holding on to. And I'm afraid of what it would mean for me 
if more of God's presence had to fill me. I also know that for some of us, you might be sitting there thinking, you know what, Stephen, you're a pastor, you're a godly guy, and I try, but... (laughs) You know, for you to experience more of the presence of God, or the worship team, or some of those leaders, or some wonderful people that I see on TV or if I read their books, you know, the presence of God is for them, but not for me. And there's something about you that sees yourself as insignificant and not worthy of the presence of God. And I want to say to every single one of you this morning, regardless of your fear, is that God is, by definition, the ultimate good. And if God is the ultimate good, and if He is the ultimate good Father, then what He wants for you is only your ultimate good. And if what He wants for you is your ultimate good, and if He is the ultimate good, then He wants Him for you. And that is the best thing that you can have, is more of God. What we're not talking about here necessarily is looking for experiences as an end to themselves. We're not chasing earthquakes. We're not chasing, you know, glory clouds. We're not chasing feelings. Those are easy to manufacture. We're seeking the presence of God and how He moves And how he makes us aware of that is entirely up to him. But he is a good father who wants our best. And he is our best. And so he wants him for us. I love the line from a song that we sometimes sing here at Riverside that says, When you come, when you move, when you do what only you can do, it changes us. And it changes what we see, and it changes what we seek. And that's what we're talking about. And so the starting point for all of this is at the level of our desires. Do you desire the presence of God? Or do you simply desire a ritual on a Sunday? Or to go through some motions at a life group or in a devotional time in the morning? Or is there something beyond that that you're seeking? And so I want to just, with God's help, fan into flame the desire that you have for the presence of God in this world. And I think one of the greatest helps that I can give you on this is something that I've learned from C.S. Lewis. We don't have the words here, so just listen to these words, some of the most beautiful things he's ever written. He says this, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. We'll speak about that in a second. These things... The beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if those things are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the sense of a flower we have not found. 
the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. This is what he's saying. I'm sure every single one of us can identify at some point in our lives. Maybe you've been standing on a cliff by the ocean and just been awestruck by your experience. Or maybe you've been listening to some music or reading something that moved your heart. Or maybe you've held a little child in your arms and something in you just for the briefest moment went beyond this is beautiful and started to just for a moment to feel transcendence. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is that we make a big mistake when we start to think that that feeling that just wakened ever so briefly something within our hearts, we'll be mistaken if we think it came from that thing. It came from the ocean or the child or the music. And we will spend the rest of our lives chasing that feeling in places where it was never meant to be found. We do the same thing in our churches. God reaches through a sermon and touches our hearts or a song or in a particular meeting or while we're reading scripture or while we're praying. And this is so subtle, but we would make a great mistake to believe that it was the song that gave that to me or it was the pastor that gave that to me or it was that church that gave it to me. And in the same way, we make idols of those things. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that when God wants to touch your heart and open your eyes to His presence, it never comes from those things, it comes through those things. And so you and I need to learn to look through, through our religious experiences and through even our life experiences so that we can begin to see and seek the real presence of God. And you know what Jesus said? If you seek, you will find. I think something powerful happens to us when we begin truly seeking. When we begin truly looking for the presence of God. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where perhaps a friend of yours gets a new car or they're excited about getting a new car. So they start talking about this particular new car. What happens the next day on the road? You're driving around and suddenly you start seeing all of these cars, right? Now what's happened is that not 20,000 people bought that car in the last day, but suddenly you're attentive to it. And because you're attentive to it, you begin to notice it. And in the same way, I'm inviting us to become attentive to the presence of God that is there. That is there in creation. That is there in a very special, special tangible way in God's people. That is there as we look at the work of the kingdom of God. It is there. We know it's there. But we need to not look at these things, but through these things. And I believe the more our eyes start to look and our hearts start to yearn, not only will we start to see more of God, but I believe we will become increasingly available to those special sovereign moments where God decides to unleash more of the sense of His presence.
And we will be there and prepared just like the Israelites were prepared for the presence of God. I want to end off by saying this. I need this. Even as a pastor, it is the worst thing in the world for me to think about going through the motions of religious ceremony week after week for the rest of my life if this isn't there. And so I want to ask, not only for me, but for every single one of us, that when we come and gather, that we come with a sense of, I'm seeking God's presence. Lord, help me see. Lord, open the eyes of my heart to see and to know the God who is here. And that when you go to God's word, yes, we're going to look at God's word. Yes, we're going to see the words. We're going to study the words. We're going to meditate on them. But the power is not in the words themselves. But it's the God who reveals himself through those words. It is not in the sound of my voice when I preach or when I pray. It is in the work of God behind that. The presence of God has always been the point. Now the rest of this stuff matters. The setting up of the chairs, the cameras, the band practicing. It matters at the same level that the canvas of the tabernacle mattered. And that there were poles in the tabernacle that mattered. And that there were elements and candle stands and arcs that mattered. And while they mattered, they were never the point. So what we do matters. The preparation and the prayer and the practicing and the setting up matters, but it's not the point. And so I hope that every single one of us is going to be leaving this place with a greater hunger and a greater thirst, a greater expectancy when it comes to believing that truly God is among us. And so I want to pray that we bring our hearts before God this morning. We also start to recognize how God is amongst us. God starts to show us, open up the eyes of our hearts. And that there may be those moments where God's presence is more weighty among us. And that we get to enjoy Him. Because that is where we're going. Father, we thank you that you are our ultimate good. And God, it's not like you're up somewhere in heaven and we're scurrying around the face of planet earth, hoping to somehow find some pleasure in you. God, the story of scripture is how you did come down to us. The story of Exodus is your presence filling that tabernacle and being amongst your people in a very special way. The story of Jesus is how you came down, God. The fullest image of God we've ever had, being amongst us and demonstrating who God is and what God does. And then Jesus, you were enthroned and, and you sent your presence back down in the Holy Spirit. And so, God, you are here. Forgive us for those moments when it's not for lack of your presence, but our hearts are fixated on other things. 
Our hearts are fixated on the things of the past week or the coming week. Or even the simple religious ceremony. ceremony. Father God, we choose to look beyond those things. We choose to look through those things because that is where we see you and know you. And God, I pray that your spirit would do a work in us. That as we go throughout this week, there'll be moments where you're tapping us on the shoulder as we're seeking to see your presence, that you will reveal something of yourself, something of your presence to us. I pray that as we read your word, it would not be dead words on a page, but your living word made alive by your presence. That as we pray, it's not the ritual of words coming out our mouth, but we are speaking and communing with the presence of the mighty God. I pray that as we gather to worship, it is not about the songs. But Father God, somehow we see you high and lifted up. The train of your robe and your presence fills this place. Fills our temple, Riverside Community Church. God, I pray we would also see your work and your presence out in the world. You are not confined to religious spaces. We will see that you are working and softening hearts. That you are touching the hearts of those who need you. That you are at work in this world. Allow us to see that too, God. Father, we are hungry and we are thirsty. But we also need your work in us and through us so that our hearts are increasingly permeable to your presence. So Holy Spirit, we give our hearts to you. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.